All right. Welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. It is the tail end of January now at the moment, and I have been hard at work with a couple different episodes I've recorded, so trying to get them done and out. It has been really cold here, like uh, nighttime temperatures in the minus 30s and daytime. I think today I went snowshoeing and it was minus 15. So not too shabby, I guess, if you're Canadian. If you're from a hot country, you might be like, oh my Lord. Anyways, it is what it is. We make the most of it while we can in the winter. Ah, what else have I been up to? I don't feel like I've been up to anything. The days just fly by. Yeah. What else? Let's see. Patreon. Just a quick shout out to all the supporters of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast and to say thank you guys. Thank you for everything. And if you are able to, for just a few bucks a month, you can support the podcast and help cover some of the many yearly costs that go into uh, keeping this show and website running. And uh, it'd be really, really, really appreciated. And you can do that at patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. What else? What else? What else? Uh, the Bike Pack Adventures website. That's bikepackadventures.ca or .com. Uh, the website now has like 20 routes just in Ontario and Quebec. And these are like pretty hefty bikepacking routes. There's a few shorter ones, but a lot of them are quite long. So if you do have routes that you absolutely love that you know is a wicked, wicked bikepacking route or a really good day out uh, gravel riding and you want to submit them, you can go to bikepackadventures.ca and go on to the the last option, which is submit a route. And uh, that would be really awesome, guys. I would love it to, to see more things coming up there. So if you're able to submit a route, it's much easier for me to copy and paste it into the, the right fields. So on top of that, the grand part of the Canadian Shield bikepacking route is taking place on July 3rd, leaving Chelsea, Quebec at 8 a.m. If you are in the Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, Quebec, or Northern Hemisphere, <laughs> uh, not a bad idea to make it down here to Ottawa for the Grand Depart, just north of Ottawa, Chelsea. It's amazing. You'll love it. And uh, there are three different options to choose from for distances. So I've kind of, when I built it, originally I was going to have it as just one massive route. And uh, it was a combination of three loops. And then I kind of thought about it and it doesn't really address everybody's needs. There's a lot of people that don't have the time to do a 1300 kilometer loop or 1000 kilometer loop, but maybe the 400 is perfect for them. So with that in mind, you can do the Canadian Shield 400, 1000, or the 1300. So you have three choices. Right now, there's nine people signed up. That is cool. I'm so stoked. I'd love to see 50. I'd love to see 100. That'd be amazing. And um, yeah, come on out. Early season riding. Get the best of the best in right at the start of the year. And for details, you can go to bikepackadventures.ca and check out the Grand Depart tab. Yeah. And if that doesn't work for you, there are are tons of other routes on the website so you can also check those out uh they're just right at bikepackadventures.ca so right on the homepage there um now onto the podcast in this episode of the bike tour adventures podcast i talk with trevor brown growing up in western canada trevor was intrigued with the concept of bike touring from a very young age trevor spent a lot of time mountain biking in the rockies and even took jobs that allow him to spend more time on his bike in 2008, he went on an epic journey and cycled 7,600 kilometers across Canada. The very next year, he took on the Tour Divide and was one of the first Canadians to complete it. In the time since, he's gotten involved in long-distance biking, started a magazine, and now lives in Montreal, Canada. Trevor, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. All right, so why don't we start? Like, Tell us about yourself. Everything I didn't just say. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we're done. We're done. Uh, no, I mean... Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I grew up out west in uh, Alberta, just outside of uh, Calgary in the foothills. So already, you know, I grew up in the outdoors in the Kananaskis country, uh, doing a lot of hiking, a lot of camping, a lot of that sort of thing with my family. And I think that's where my uh, love of the outdoors started, for sure. Okay. And um, so, like, that's... You said, I think I read High River, and that's kind of uh, on the way towards Banff, is it? That kind of thing? Or, or towards Canada? Uh, it's or actually, uh, High River is like straight south, I guess, southwest of Calgary. Okay. So um, in the Bragg Creek, Black Diamond area, it's like literally right in the foothills, like 20 minutes from the Rockies. So oh, okay. cool. you wake up every morning and you're looking at, you know, the foothills and the Rockies right there. So yeah, sweet. That's, uh, yeah, spectacular around there. It's like, you know, big sky country as well. So you're the best of the plains to one side and the Rockies on the other. It's really it's nice. And now you just have like skyscrapers in Montreal, right? <laughs> now there's a little sky, not so much big sky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so have you always been into cycling or is it something that kind of really came on later in life? Uh, you know what? Growing up in a small town, there wasn't much to do. Um, and I was always a bit of uh, a lone wolf. I was never on like big hockey teams or the football team or anything. I was always the uh, outdoor kid. I did have a few close friends that we were really into uh, biking and growing up right next to Rockies and, you know, all the gravel roads around that area. It just naturally came. Um, you know, we started with crappy little precision mountain bikes and we just, you know, beat them up as much as we could. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just kept graduating from there and like honing our skills that way. And I think um, I think that was really important, like learning on really crappy bikes really taught me a lot. I yeah. think that was a, that's a great way to learn. And that's, I tell my kids that I've got two boys and, uh, you know, I don't spend like $5,000 on their bikes. I mean, that's ridiculous. Everything we have yeah. is like secondhand and we learn how to build it and how to fix it. And it's, you know, I think that's a great way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was very similar. I think you're like a brother from another mother or something. I grew up, I was not really big into the the team sports as much as like getting out biking. And fortunately for me, I had a year and a half older brother who was really hands-on. So anytime I broke something, I'd just be like, Nick, can you fix this? He's like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) And he'd start wrenching away and I would, as soon as he was done, I'd go break it again. But yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, we started out biking to the mountains. That was how we got to the mountains. And then once we got our, you know, our driver's license, then we got cars and then we took our bikes, you know, further into the mountains and, you know, every day after school or on the weekends, oh, wow. we were mountain biking. So I think that was a great big, uh, a big base for me to learn and get that love, you know, because it was just fun. Mm-hmm. We were just out there having a lot of good times and learning su- super technical stuff as well. Like I've never had that great of biking uh, since. Oh, wow. Did you have that eventual pause where I feel like most people, you kind of hit that wall where all of a sudden you're thinking is cars, girls, bars, and then you kind of just forget about biking for, for me, it was about a decade or so, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think you just said it right there. We are brothers from their mother. That's exactly what happened with me. Like, you know, I was always on bike, uh, and doing bike courier stuff, but you know what? I, I did take a break and I went to art school and I was always trying to get into the outdoors and I was doing it, but I did take that like pause. I was always like, not biking, you know, I'll bike once, twice, three times a month sort of thing. It wasn't like every day doing it. And I was just, uh, I think it was necessary to do that, you know, just kind of meander off into Mm -hmm. something else and explore what life also has elsewhere. And, uh, but I did come back to it. I definitely came back to it and, uh, with a passion for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Me, I left the country and then I just didn't have my bike with me. So I just drank and. Instead, it worked. It was fun. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I hear you. 
So I guess you could say in, in some ways you started bike touring at a really young age because in, in a sense you were to get places from small town that you lived in, you actually rode your bike to go there. And, and you know, meanwhile, you're exploring along the way kind of thing, right? Exactly. We didn't look at it as bike touring or bike packing. We just, you know, we had crappy old panniers or our backpacks on and just went. And uh, that's what it was all about. It wasn't about the latest gear or anything. It was just about the passion and the, mm-hmm. the having fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, I also had a couple other experiences too. My parents and I were riding up, were driving up to Alaska and uh, we took a ferry from the tip of Victoria, uh, uh, Vancouver Island, sorry, up to Alaska. And on the ferry, there was this guy and he looked really rough, big beard, you know, yellow rain slicker jacket. And uh, I saw him come on with the bike and I was like, my eyes just, I think, wide open. I was like, what is he doing? You know? And, um, so yeah, my parents and myself went over and talked to him. We just learned about what he's like, yeah, I'm just riding around the country, having fun. And he was, you know, he's just a vagabond and he was having the time of his life. And I was just like, uh, wow, I want to do this. And I think that really planted the seed later for later in my life as well. But, uh, I mean, I remember he's like, can you guys go down in the, in the canteen and get me all the peanut butter and crackers, all the extras you can get for me. Cause that's going to be my meal for the next couple of days. Can you just like, sneak a bunch <laughs> when you go get more food? And I was like, yes, that's awesome. He's like a dirt bag. He's it, what we call a dirt bag now, you know, yeah, at its yeah. finest. It's great. <laughs> and I think that, that really planted the seed in, uh, for my life later on, for sure. You can always tell, you can tell the people that like, that are focused and they, they know where their pennies are going. Uh, when, when my buddy Nima, who was in uh, episode 27, 28 of the podcast came to Ottawa last summer, we were going to go to this Nordique spa in Chelsea and we treated to him to a day, you know, like, and, and while he was there, he ordered a coffee, but then he proceeded to drink all the milks and creamers they brought. So he was opening them up and shooting him back. And my wife's like, what is he doing? I was like, oh, well, you know. He's budget conscious. He's like, they just brought him free milk. He's having it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> um, so when, how old were you when you did your first overnighter on the bike? Uh, we were probably like, you know, 17, 18, uh, once we started doing oh, that nice. sort of stuff, like staying overnight. And uh, like I said, it was right in the heart of the Rockies. Mm-hmm. We were loving life. And um, yeah, and I think that it always stuck with me. Like, I think I've always had that love of just being out there and just having fun. It's not about you know, so much the destination sometimes it's, it is the journey and, and just being out there. I think that's my soul is, is happy out there. And, uh, okay. that really started from that young age. Yeah. And I think I was going to ask you next, what does bicycling mean to you? But I think that exactly just covers it right there. It's just good for my soul. Yeah. I think that's mm. to, to encapsulate it all. I think it's really good for my soul for sure. Yeah. In the bike touring world, it's interesting because I've talked to some people where they find like, they're like the bike it's not about the bike. The bike is a tool to travel at a pace where I can see things. And, yeah. you know, they, they didn't grow up as cyclists like you and I did. But for them, it's just it's just a tool. It'd be like somebody taking a bus or a car. But for them, it's like, no, that's too fast. Walking is way too slow. But a bike just kind of fits it. And then yeah. there's other people that are clearly like us where it's like, no, man, it's all about the bike. And the things you see <laughs> along the way, I mean, they, it's nice and it's great. But sometimes it's just like, for me, it's I love the bike. And like seeing new things is awesome. But big part of that is because of the bike. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I can't agree more. In uh, oh, I forget what year it is. I didn't write it down, but you did cross Canada. I think it was actually 2008. Am I right there? I'm aging myself, but uh, yeah, I think it was 2008. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what what led you to decide? Hey, I'm going to cycle across Canada. Were there a lot of little trips before that, or uh, how did this come to be? This kind of happened at the end of that 10 year stint, where I had kind of given like that that break that we talked about, and I was uh, I think I was hungry for it again. And uh, I was actually visiting a friend in Ottawa and one of his friends had just come back from going across Canada. Oh. And I was like, what? And all of a sudden, again, my eyes just did that, you know, big, like, yes, I have to do this. Deer, <laughs> deer in headlights thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow, I, I actually never thought I could actually do it. And at that point in my life, it was the perfect time. I was, you know, freelancing as a designer. So I didn't have a job necessarily. And I could just tell my clients, you know, I'll be back in whenever, three months. And, uh, yeah, I just was like, I have to do this. And, uh, at the time there's this, I think I'm not even sure if it's still on, but there was this website called crazy guy in a bike. Yeah, there is still up. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I just, I read that and I read all the stories about people going across Canada and I, I was hooked. Mm -hmm. So I went on Kijiji and looked up, uh, I found an old Rocky mountain Sherpa, which I still have. It's one of my favorite bikes. A guy had just come back from coming across Canada on it and he was just trying to get rid of it with oh, a bunch wow, of bags. Nice. So I was like, you know, that was great. And so my mind was made up. I was going to, over the, I guess the winter of 2007, I did a lot of research. And uh, and again, this was before any GPS or yeah. anything. So I, yeah. I did everything on maps, you know, on paper Map maps. West. I brought a bunch of maps and yeah, and a lot of almanacs with me and packed my bags that way. And um, and at that time too, my, my present wife, uh, she was like, had never done anything like this before either. And she was like, can I come? And I was like, oh, uh, I was kind of hoping to do this alone at first. I thought it was going to be a great, like, uh, a great journey of my own. But I was like, yeah, I think that would be like a lot of fun to have her with me and have her experience what I, what I, what I was going to experience. Yeah. So, uh, having no training or anything, she, you know, we found her an old Trek 520. Perfect. And, uh, set that up and we were off. And, uh, the first couple of days were rough. <laughs> she wasn't used to long riding and I, did you start in British Columbia or? No, I, we started in Montreal because we wanted to leave from our doorstep. Oh, nice. Okay. So it's a bit of a roundabout way we got there. But, you know, the first couple of days, she, I don't think she was used to my style of camping and biking. It was kind of like uh, go by the seat of my pants. Even though I did a lot of research, I, I really enjoy like seeing where the road takes me. And then, mm -hmm. you know, where I would like to stop, I'll stop. Or if I find a cool spot, I'll, I'll stop there. And I think she was like a couple of times questioning my decision making <laughs> yeah. process, but it always worked. It always worked out in the end. You know, we 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 did about 100 kilometers a day, and and uh, we started in the beginning of June, so it was a bit rainy here in Quebec. We had some rough uh, rough weather, but it was it was really really great. I was I was so happy just to be on the road. And Which think, way did uh, you leaving Montreal? Did you go North Shore or South Shore? We did the North Shore up to Quebec City, yeah, um, and then crossed back over the river Makes again um, up to uh, on the South Shore and that way all the way up to gosh, I'm trying to think up to the Gas Bay and then we cut straight across oh, Quebec nice. over to New Brunswick. Okay, so you took the you went right to the Gas Bay coast. Nice. Okay, we didn't go all That's the way. Amazing. We went kind of halfway yeah. and then cut over. Yeah. Okay. Nice. You know, ideally we would have done the whole Gas Bay, but. Uh, Time-wise, my wife only had a month, so uh, we decided to do it a little bit shorter that way. But um, And it was gorgeous. I mean, to be honest, once we got to New Brunswick, it was – I think that was one of my favorite provinces at the time riding through. It was just gorgeous. And the people were super friendly and, you know, people would stop you on the side of the road and offer you lemonade and cookies and ask you where you're from and just, you know, chat you up. And it's, yeah. 
it was great. And I think that's what really opened my eyes to, to cycle touring at that point. The generosity and the openness that comes across when you're on a bike and people feel that. They really feel the openness and I think it really brings down a lot of barriers. Yeah, I think part of it might be a vulnerability too. Is like people look at you and like, oh, they're vulnerable. Like, how can I yeah. make yeah. everything a little bit better for them, you know, so yeah. make it safe. And if you're in a car, people are going to, you know, they're not going to come up to you and say, oh, what are you doing? It's like, well, you're driving your car. Otherwise, in your bikes, they're kind of like a bit <laughs> curious too. And they're like, where are you going? How are you getting there? Where are you sleeping? What do you, you know? So I think yeah. that was a, a really big eye opener for me. And I think I really got the touring bug, you know, really mm-hmm. quick. And then from there, yeah, we went up through New Brunswick, up through uh, Nova, uh, Prince Rhode Island over to Nova Scotia and all the way up the coast there. And then took the ferry over to Newfoundland. Okay, nice. From there. And by that time, a month had passed by by the time we got to the other side of Newfoundland that my wife had to come home to her job. And from there, I flew back to Victoria and then started my way coming back this way. Oh, it's like a great mix, you know, like you had some time together as a couple and then yeah. you had your solo ride as well. Yeah, that was really special. And I remember my happy, I was really happy to share that with her. And uh, I don't think she loved it, but she really had a a better understanding. I think mm-hmm. we had a better understanding of who we were as people. And I think that was really important for sure. Yeah. And probably makes a relationship stronger if you can survive a month of cycle touring together. <laughs> exactly. And we're married now, so it must have done something. So uh, it must have worked. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife and I cycled yeah. to Quebec City and back from Ottawa and that was, um, it was, it was good. But like, same, like you said, I, I didn't really plan where our stops would be other than knowing in Montreal, I have a cousin, I have lots of cousins. Quebec City as well. So I'm like, along the way, I'm like, ah, we'll just find some place to camp. And I think that was a little shocking for her. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So what kind of, uh, what was your packing like in that early touring? And and do you feel like you overpacked a lot or underpacked? (laughs) Way overpacked. I mean, I think I had everything in the kitchen sink. Like I had four Ortlieb, you know, the biggest panniers I could find front and back. And then I had had a big Ortlieb you know, waterproof sort of duffel on the back and, uh, and, you know, the handlebar bag and everything. And I, it was funny, like our first couple of days, like I couldn't lift my bike. And, uh, I was like, this is too much. And we're like, as soon as we got to one of the bigger towns, I guess maybe four or five days after we mailed a ton of stuff back. Yeah. We're like, we don't need half this, half this stuff. Who brought um, a cheese grater? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but yeah, I brought like tires and like, you know, I was like, at the time, you know, you're thinking you're going to be in the middle of nowhere, but mm-hmm. you're always around somewhere and yeah. someone can always help you with something. So, but my wife really loves vintage shopping and every little time we came to, she had to stop at the vintage store or, you know, the, the, the frippery, which, you know, the used clothing stores and stuff. And she brought like, <laughs> I remember her packing this huge, massive, like winter winter uh inuit jacket that was handmade it was beautiful but she packed around this massive jacket with her and you know we had all the room so we were like you know packing our panniers full of stuff and then <laughs> mailing stuff home every once in a while so yeah but uh, and then when i flew back over to victoria i sent a lot of stuff home too knowing that i didn't need half the stuff i had so yeah you said you were averaging about 100k a day how did that did that change up when you were solo riding or was it still kind of around the same yeah, I, I kept around the same, not because I thought it was too much or too little, but I think it was just a nice pace. I could stop, you know, have a light start, have an easy lunch, rest, have coffee. And like, I really wanted to take my time and take mm-hmm. it all in. I wasn't trying to, I had no agenda. So I was just really trying to take it all in and really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I had friends in different cities along the way. So I would stop for like a week and, you know, hang yeah. out with them. And nice. uh, 
I think looking back, that was the best thing I could have done. Like, you know, taking the time, and, which I don't have now, you know what I mean? I don't have, I would never, ever have that time again. Yeah. So I think it was really important for me to, uh, to do that. Um, so what kind of advice would you give to a younger self or actually more realistically, if you're one of your boys in, uh, you know, 10, 15 years or to say, Hey dad, I'm going to go on a bike tour. What kind of advice would you give them? Just go, I think would be my first get out there and travel while you can, because you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I would say if you have an opportunity, just go. It doesn't matter if you don't have the right bike or the right bags or whatever, just make it work and go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think exploring the world around you is super important. Um, I think meeting new people is important. You have to experience life as a young person. And the only way to do that is to get out of your comfort zone and mm-hmm. meet other people in different cultures and different provinces, different countries. Like that's, I think that was one of the big things I took from traveling was just the people that I met along the way. And learning about every province, every little region had its own like interesting history, its interesting quirks, its accents, it's just the way people acted. It was all, it was really special meeting that many different people and feeling the love that different people gave back to you in return, you know, Mm -hmm. offering their homes or backyard to camp or just even advice on where to, where to go camping. You know, I think, um, and just shooting the breeze with you. I think that was really, really important for that trip. And that's what I want my kids to learn about. It's just learn about people learn about cultures, learn about anything that enriches your life. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. And as a teacher, I mean, there's so much that just one adventure like that will teach you about people in the world that you just will not learn at school. Like It no, just starts to fill in books, all yeah. these gaps and, and you re- start to realize quickly how massive the gaps are once you, once you do yeah. go abroad or travel. Yeah, exactly. What were some of your fondest memories of cycle touring in Canada? I loved each province for its own way. Like I loved the ruggedness of BC. I loved Alberta's mix of landscape. But I think, I mean, I remember one big hill in uh, in BC and it was like the never ending hill with all my gear in the heat of the day. It was super hot out and uh, I hadn't enough water and I was climbing pretty hard. And I remember having almost an out-of-body, out-of-body experience. Uh, I was pushing so hard and... I could feel myself just my body took over and I was just watching from above, you know, at a certain point. Oh. And I never had that feeling before. So it was a bit like, this is weird. But I was just like, just just go with it. And um, yeah, it's just this, I, I can't explain the way that sometimes cycling takes over your body. And it's almost like it's its own, uh, it's its own machine. And uh, that really uh, made me think about how special biking is and having that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at after that point, I was actually really desperate for water. And this couple pulled over and they're like, you know, here's some water. We saw you're kind of struggling a bit back there. And I was like, so thankful for these people to have come along and give me the water. And they're like, you know, we have a, if you're ever making this way, we're, we're a couple towns further on. Here's our address. If you ever need to stay anywhere, just stop by our house. We have oh, a huge nice. yard. You, you can camp in the backyard. I was like, okay, that, that sounds really good. And, uh, lo and behold, I'd come to their area. It was up near Nelson, BC. And, uh, I really had nowhere to stay. So I was like, I just showed up at their door. And they're like, oh, we're so glad you showed up. Here you go. They had like an Airbnb going on too at the time. So oh wow, cool. or not, it wasn't Airbnb. It was just like a bed and breakfast. Sorry. So they were making me meals and they just treated me like their son. That was really special to me uh, for sure. Being the, the kindness of strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember big points in Saskatchewan too. I think oddly enough, Saskatchewan was one of the most beautiful provinces I've been to. And I would, I would never think that. 
it was just so broad and the skies were so huge. They just go on forever, man. Like it just goes on forever. Yeah. But it was, there's something really special about it. And I remember, uh, Actually, I had a pretty hard time at my at one point because the wind was so heavy and I think it was around Regina. And uh, I had to stop for a few days because it was hurting my knee so much going into the wind uh, okay. so much. And just walking around the city and just everyone was so kind and so friendly, you know, helping me out. Even the people at the hostel, I was staying at a hostel, were like, you know, urging me to, you know, not quit my not quit my trip, keep going. It's going to, things will get better. And it was really nice to uh, experience that as well. Again, just the kindness of people really struck me in that area. Yeah, and I think I remember Ontario being one of the worst. <laughs> the people in terms of like ro- <laughs> the worst people ever. No, no. Not, not like us Quebecers. <laughs> <laughs> the roads, the roads were the worst. Oh, yeah. uh, just no shoulders, and I was taking more of a northern route, and it was really like just not fun at times. It was mm-hmm. just like wall-to-wall trees and big trucks and logging trucks, and uh, I remember that being uh, rather rather difficult in the area as well, but. Yeah. yeah. They keep talking about this cross Canada bike packing trail. And I'm just like, how are you going to do it? What are you going to do up in the Northwest of Ontario? Like there's nothing, there's one road, highway 17. I'm like, yeah. there is no yeah, other exactly. options unless you like really get into some muddy, maybe forestry roads that might not be there the next year, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure if they take like the great Canadian trail in parts or how that's going to work, but all the power to them if, if someone can uh, figure that out for sure. Figure that one out, yeah. So a year after this trip, you decided to do the Tour Divide. I mean, how did you hear about the Tour Divide? <laughs> I mean, this was way, this was, well, a year before Ride the Divide came out. Yeah, this was... Uh, 2009. Yeah. Um, I'd actually read a magazine, like a real paper magazine article about Matthew Lee and Jay Peterberry. Oh. And uh, I was like, I'm in good shape. You know, I just rode across Canada. I'm, I'm pretty fit. It's like, I got to do this. I, I, I really want to try the, my passion, mountain biking and touring. You know, I thought this is it. This is like a, a big calling for me. And I, I was hooked. As soon as I read that article, I was like, yes. Again, I had those big, my eyes kind of opened up yeah. wide. I was like, I have to do this. Uh, I was like obsessed with this route. It sounded amazing. And uh, I'd actually talked to Matthew Lee. I, I emailed him and I was like, you know, here's my experience. I don't really have much any bikepacking experience. I'd never done any bikepacking event or race. And back then there wasn't a ton of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know what? You'll be fine. Just do it. That was kind of his advice. He's like, you're going to really have to dig deep in your mind. He said, this is not about how well you can ride a bike. This is really about mental power. A lot of it. He was like, that's how I made it through mental power. And you'll see what I mean once you get into it. And he was totally right. It wasn't through my lack of experience because I, I, I knew how to go long distance. But I didn't know how hard it was going to be being in the Rockies and crossing so many times and not having so many resources on hand. You you really have to be um, resourceful. And yeah, but again, this, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, especially in the days prior to uh, GPS phones and all that stuff, right? Like well, this is, this is this, I, again, I did this all on a paper map. Um, I actually just found these map, my maps that I used. Uh, I heard you sent month. them to Eric and Jen, right? Yeah, they they wrote me. They're like, "You have maps. We need we need the maps." Uh, and it's Eric and Jen from the Log Drivers Walls. That's and right. I'm like, "You guys, you, you know, have them. It's it's an awesome thing to have, and I'm happy to pass them on to them." So uh, that was cool. a blast in the past looking at them and, and stuff. But yeah, no, I, I did the tour divide all on maps, and I wrote it all the cues. And I think that that helped me prepare for it. I was like, left at kilometer one forty one, right at kilometer one forty three, and I have no idea how I managed to do it. I honestly don't like keeping track of. 4,400 kilometers of cues. 
It's insane. Without like losing your way at some point or having your mileage go off or going like, yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't know how I did it, but, um, yeah, I think that's my claim to fame is, is doing it by maps. <laughs> that's wild. Uh, what bike did you use? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say there's a bit of a shit show story about how I actually got to the finish for the start line. Sorry. I had a mountain bike here and I knew maybe it wasn't, <clears throat> maybe it wasn't the best one for a super long distance. It was like a rather old Rocky Mountain, another Rocky Mountain uh, hammer. Um, but I, I loved it and I, I knew I could do something on it, but I was having a bit of troubles with it. And I was like, I don't want to be stuck in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. I, uh, I went on pink bike, uh, and I looked up mountain bikes for at that time. And, um, I actually found another brand new Rocky mountain hammer race steel front suspension. It was awesome. And, uh, my parents still live there. So I'm like, can you go pick this bike? I'm going to arrive a couple days before the race. I'm going to ride it a couple times and then it should be good to go. Uh, they're like, sure, sure. So my dad picked it up for me and it needed a few things. So he took it into the bike shop and actually had, you know, like new cables put on that sort yeah. of thing. But otherwise it was perfect. It was great. But the other big thing is I didn't have any like bike packing bags. I had panniers and stuff. And I didn't think that was really mm-hmm. going to cut it uh, for the I time. I know some people do it, but like. I yeah, think- I mean, I, I could have done it. it. It wasn't the problem, but I was like, I really want to go a lot more minimal. I want to go a lot more light. And at the time there was only like two or three people making bike packing bags. There was like Revelate. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Porson Rocket was even around yet. And there was one guy of California called Carousel Bagworks. Okay. So I, I called him like a month before the race. I was like, I just want some really super simple bags, one for the back uh, on the saddlebag and one for the front bar. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Like a week before no bags had showed up yet. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm still finishing it up. <laughs> He's like, can I just send it right to Alberta for you? I was like, yeah, you're going to have to because I'm leaving right now and I need these bags. So he ended up sending, t- I got them, I was leaving on like a Wednesday morning or something to go up to Banff the day before the race started. And I got them like that Tuesday night. Oh, wow. So I didn't even know, I had no idea even how to use these bags. So I quickly strapped them on. Luckily, all my stuff kind of fit. And uh, I was I was pretty minimal, so I didn't have a lot of stuff. But, and then actually as well, I was just testing out my bike the day before too, and I, I snapped the crank and it fell off. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I quickly took it to a bike shop. I'm like, I need this done quick. Can you guys like put a new crank? I'm doing a tour divide tomorrow. And they're like, they looked at me like I was a complete idiot, first of all. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I haven't ridden it before and I just tried it out. They're like, they gave me that look and then they're like, fine, we'll, we'll quickly do it for you. And, you know, they were super nice and they did it really quick. And uh, I was, you know, my dad drove me up to Banff, uh, you know, the day before and, I made it in all in one piece and that was good. But yeah, it took a little bit getting there. And I was like, I felt like the greenest uh, bike packer ever. Like I was showing up, never had done a bike packing event before, never tried my bags before. And I, I, I was nervous a little bit for that just because, uh, you know, things go wrong. And uh, yeah. but I did have, you know, lots of camping experience. I did have, you know, I, I wasn't worried that way. But uh, I just didn't want things breaking down and have to quit for some mechanical reason. So, mm-hmm. and I think this was just the—I think this is just the second iteration of the Tour Divide, right? I think it just started the year before. So, how many people were there at the start line? There was forty of us, I want to say. Okay. About. Yeah. Um, again, it was mostly Americans. I would have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's Jay Peterberry was there, Matthew Lee. Um, there was maybe Jill Homer was there. I'm just trying to give names that people might, you know, associate with. Yeah. But uh, other than that, everybody was, a lot of it was just a lot of inexperienced people who hadn't really done anything like this and were uh, just stoked to be there. 
the mm-hmm. uh, everybody's super excited the night before we had a big barbecue and it was like it was pretty exciting but you could tell everyone was very nervous for sure yeah 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 where nowadays i think when people go to do the the tour divide like they've already ridden so much bike packing and there's so many other events out there that probably for the most part people are a little bit more at ease because they they know kind of what to expect but i mean mm-hmm. 4400 kilometers is long and that's just it there wasn't a lot of information out there at the time it was like uh pretty slim pickings so you kind of had to study the maps you kind of had to do it that way i know there are some people who use gps at that time i think it was just kind of coming out so there was some people who used it but uh yeah i think you really had to really depend on your your wits and your your gut instinct a lot of for a lot of the race for sure Mm -hmm. and it was telephone in right you'd have to telephone in from certain checkpoints to say when you arrived and things like that and just leave a message was that right yeah exactly and uh everyone got a spot as well um the day before the race. And I'd never used one before in my life. So I was like, okay, press a button, hold it on, should be fine. Uh, Like two or three days into the race, I thought I had my spot on and apparently I hadn't had it on. And my wife was freaking out because it just showed (laughs) my dot was in the middle of nowhere, not moving or not doing anything. So she was calling up, like leaving messages and everything. I didn't have a cell phone either at that time. Yeah. So I couldn't even, you know, she couldn't even just text me and be like, are you okay? It was like, I think she was kind of freaking out a bit. And uh, at one point I, I had to do a call in. I was like, yeah, I'm here in Montana, blah, blah, blah. Everything's pretty good. You know, a bit of a sore knee. Uh, I think I'm okay, but everything is fine. And then I saw the, her message was on this, this messaging. I can't remember right. what it's called. But uh, yeah, she's like, turn your spot on. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't hold it for three seconds. I held it for two seconds thinking it was on sort of thing. So I gotcha. After that, I kept it on. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm assuming you didn't really have any special gear on the bike at all. I mean, it was pretty much you, you had just bought the bike. So there was pretty just, you know, basics, flat bars, I assume, clipping pedals. Exactly. Yeah, I can't say anything was special. I had my Camille biking shoes that I'd worn from going across Canada. And, you know, no, I can't say I had a sleeping bag and a... Did I have a tent at that time? I didn't think I had a tent. It was like a tarp sort of thing situation. And it was super basic, yeah. super, super basic. What kind of drivetrain did you have back then? Like, this is 2009. So I'm, I'm assuming probably a two by 10 or two by nine or something. It was a three by, yeah, I, I honestly couldn't, I think it was probably a three by seven or nine. It was, it was an XT, like everything was like top of the line. Yeah. Like it was a great bike. Uh, but yeah, again, nothing crazy. It was just mm-hmm. like super, everything's super reliable. I have to say the one thing, the entire two divide, I didn't have one mechanical uh, problem. And you know, already I changed change. the crank. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, that was my only mechanical. Yeah. But no, I, I did, I did have to replace, you know, some brake pads. It was, it was, uh, uh, I had placed a chain and some brake pads and that was it. Yeah, brake pads on those old ones seem to go really quick, like back in the It older. was V-brakes. It wasn't even disc. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Did you use aero bars? No, I don't find aero bars very comfortable for my body for some okay. reason. It might, might be the bike fit on any, I've never actually ever used them because I just can't, I find them always too far over and it's never been a, a comfortable riding position for me. Um, okay. I wish they were because it does look like it would have been a huge advantage just to stretch mm-hmm. out on some of those longer stretches of, of road. But uh, no, I had, I did have bar ends <laughs> if that matters. I'm just going to throw it out here. I mean, I am sponsored by Redshift, but at the same time, their dual position seat post 
is pretty sweet because it kind of toggles you forward that I think five centimeters. So more into like a TT position, which might actually just kind of close you up just to yeah. that spacing you like. Should just, I would love to. Uh, if you want to try it out, that. if I come through Montreal, I could lend it to you. Yeah. Yeah. For, that'd be sweet. for you know, a few months or somewhere at some point, we could try to figure you that know, out. I, I would love for the longer like bikepacking rides. I really would like to try that. Um, yeah. Montreal's not far away. So. You did finish in 27 days, so under that 30-day mark that people always like use as a, <laughs> this gauge of whether you're you're touring or or racing or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. How many kilometers per day did you ride on average? Uh, I always did. I think minimum was like 160 kilometer sort of days. Okay. I did have some really bad days where we had to take days off. Was that just because of weather, it a, or it was super super rainy and cold that year? Um, and we did receive like in some parts like record, uh, rainfalls. And in some of those parts, if you're stuck in rain, like torrential rains, it just becomes huge peanut butter soup city. Yeah. I've heard. And we literally couldn't move our bikes at one. Like I was riding with two or three other guys at a couple points and we literally couldn't move our bikes uh, at one point. We were stuck in one city called, uh, Lima for two days. We couldn't get out. Hmm. Um, so I think if we would have you know, not taking those days off, which I, I do regret taking days off. I definitely do. But at the time, it seemed like a good idea. Yeah, I mean, and, and I've, I've seen pictures and videos of like, you know, people trying to push their bikes through this peanut butter mud. And, you know, your wheels, the wheels are so clogged up that you, you can't even turn the wheel we're, anymore. So it's like we were carrying our bikes like you can't carry your bikes, you know, for 20 kilometers. You, you really yeah. wears you out really quick. And I mean, I remember doing a few phone ins where I was like, I feel dehumanized. Like this is a this is a bike race, not a walking race. And uh, <laughs> I remember just having those ridiculous thoughts. But it was it was there are some parts that were really really hard, not 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 technically, just like trying to get through, just really just trying to get through. Yeah, we did have some really cold weather too. I remember my my favorite story actually is we had just come over Fleecer Ridge in a huge like rainstorm, and we were all freezing. And we stopped in this one town, and there was no place to stay. And the guy's like, I have a, a chicken coop, an old chicken coop out back if you guys want to crash in there. So in the middle of nowhere, we slept in this guy's chicken coop that was like, <laughs> he hadn't cleaned out of all the chicken shit. So it was like disgusting. But we were so cold that, you know, it was just a dry place to be. So yeah. the next day we woke up, we're like, do we want to take another day off? We're like, no, we got we to gotta keep going. It was still pouring grain. We didn't have anything dry. And then uh, we started going up this, this big, uh, another pass. And as soon as you start getting close to the top, it started snowing and it was like, oh, temperatures drop really quick. And there was like four of us riding together and we all just started separating. Everyone started pulling off, going into like an outhouse or I think one guy actually found a, found a hot springs to stay at a hotel somewhere. And I kept going and I, I, was, I was almost like going into pneumonia at that point. And uh, I was shaking so bad coming down the pass. And I was like, I, I actually can't do this. I got to stop. So I pulled over and I, I saw this cabin in the distance. It was like the middle of nowhere on this trail. I was like, I don't care if anybody's home. I might have to break in this cabin and just like warm up. I'm, I'm, I'm really close. I don't oh, feel wow. so well. And I was, my, I was exhausted. And so I, I got to the door and I knocked on the door, just praying that someone was in because I didn't want to break in. But I, I was that desperate. And luckily enough, the door opened and this guy looked at me. He's like, get inside right now. Because like, I was like shaking like i've never shaken oh, in my life um he's like just quickly get inside he didn't ask questions or anything i'm like i'm in a bike race i have to stop i'm absolutely frozen 
And uh, he's like, take off all your clothes. I've got a dryer. Uh, there's a bunch of blankets over there. And the last thing I remember is wrapping myself in all these blankets on this guy's stranger's couch. And he had like two or three dogs and they, were, they came up beside me and they were like, they, they could feel how cold I was, I guess, or something. Yeah. But they were cuddling with me and like just trying to give my body. And I just lay down and I, I woke up like maybe three or four hours later, I just completely passed out and uh, still Damn. cuddling with the dogs. And the guy was like looking at me like, are you okay? I'm like, I am now. Like I just needed to stop. Jeez. Yeah, if that if that if that cabin wouldn't have been there, it would have been a pretty uh, bad situation. But uh, yeah, yikes! What was the temperature like? They were talking. This has got to be like somewhere below zero, anyways, right? Minus five. It was because it, this the rain had turned to snow, and it was so high up. I I, I don't know the temperature, but yeah. um, it was like I'm not, I'm not say life or death, but it was like an extreme situation that mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how I would have handled if there wasn't have been a shelter or something. Wow, what were some of the yeah. good days like? <laughs> I hope there was some good, good days. Ones. Good days. Uh, you know, it's just it's such a beautiful country and you're following these single track and every day was a good day and every day was a bad day. I think yeah. with the tour divide, there were so many ups and downs. You really had to manage that. You're either the highest of the highs or lowest of the lows. Right. And that was really hard to manage at first because you, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting that many storms. I wasn't expecting to be that pushed. And, but, the more, the longer I kept going, the stronger I got, which was really helpful. I remember having some knee problems in the beginning and those subsided. And I was really lucky that, you know, my body did, did react the way it did. Mm-hmm. It really like, and I, I have this experience in all my races is the first day is a bit hard, but then my body, it just all of a sudden builds up. And it really like, I think it was that muscle memory from that race that helped me just pull together my strength and get stronger after that first little bit. But yeah, I think it was special. The, the scenery was really special. The people were really special. Um, you know, I'm trying to, it's 20 years, or 2009, 13 years ago? 13 no, years my ago. my math is terrible. Yeah, it's 13. Yeah. Uh, so I, my memory's not the best. Um, <laughs> I do um, I do remember being wowed. Just every corner you go around, there's these beautiful vistas or like looking down this valley or this, this incredible and i think the friendship was really special too that was definitely one of the highlights like in the beginning i was doing most of it solo and then i ended up um meeting up with these three other guys along the way and we became really good friends people i hadn't met before yeah and when when you're in those situations experiencing what you're experiencing i think it really uh accelerates how you meet people and how you interact with them in that in that sort of situation and uh yeah, unfortunately, not all of us made it. I mean, I think, you know, Strip, I mentioned, but only 14 of us even finished the race of the 40. How many? I think 14. Okay. Wow. So it, it was a bet. It was a race of a lot of scratches. Um, and the, the there was three guys that we rode with along a lot of the way. And sure enough, one guy like snapped his frame at one point. Another person got jarred and had to pull out. And as actually on the last, um, that's another funny story, which isn't pleasant to talk about, but it was the very last day of the Tour Divide. Okay. We had left, we had left, was it Silver City is the last city before the end, I think. We had left at like three in the morning. We wanted to finish really early before it got hot in the desert. And, uh, you know, the three of us, we thought we had made it. You know, there's nothing going to stop us now. We were like 50 kilometers from the finish or something. And uh, it was this really deep, sandy Jeep trail that we were on. And the sun was just rising and we were just like the top of the world. I remember that, that ecstatic feeling that we were having. Yeah. It was so beautiful riding through the desert. And uh, we were coming down this, this uh, kind of incline quite fast. 
And the guy in front of me, you could just see his wheel quickly turn like 90 degrees, hitting a sand patch. And he just went like Superman over the bars and hit the ground and just like skidding on his head at like an angle, just not stopping. And all of a sudden just stopped dead. And I was like, he wasn't moving. I was like, what's happening? And all of a sudden he started like convulsing. And uh, no. I lost, I was losing. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> what do we do? Because <laughs> we're in the middle of nowhere, but we're still 50 yeah. kilometers. You know, this guy just made it 40, 4,300 kilometers, you know, not getting hurt. And I was, you know, this close to the end. And uh, so we quickly ran up to him and he was like, he, something was happening to him. He's convulsing. He was like, not there. I was trying to like get him to respond even to like, what's your name? He couldn't do it. And, uh, did we he hit like, a stump or something when he was sliding or it just a piece, like just some sand at the wrong angle, okay. just twisted. And he just oh, wow. hit his head at the wrong angle when he landed. And, uh, so I was like, okay, I got to, I'll stay here with him. Paul, you go ahead and see if there's a ranch or something up ahead. So right. the other guy ran up, tried looking for help. And then, uh, sure enough, an hour later he came back, but I was like staying with this guy and I was, I was really praying. Like I, don't usually pray, but in that situation, I was praying for this guy. Like, I didn't know if something was seriously wrong with him. But in the end, uh, yeah, he had to get uh, trucked out. Uh, the ambulance came and stuff. But uh, luckily, he just got a con- uh, concussion. But that he didn't get to finish. Man, and you're 50K from the end. And that's or yeah. miles or whatever. Even, jeez. It put a damper on our finish. I think me and Paul, the guy uh, I finished with, uh, Paul Howard, it wasn't like the joyous finish, you know, we were both yeah. really quite dark at that moment, I think. And, uh, and it was, it was hard too finishing that, that race again. It's like, it's like everything I've ever participated in where it's like, it's always really hard finishing, you know, you're like, it, mm-hmm. it's, that's, it's over. You should be excited, but it's always like a bit sad for me always to finish a race. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. especially that day it was a bit hard for sure. Wow, that's insane. I mean, I I had read that the about the the story of the guy, but to hear it like, yeah, and to think fifty just there at the end, you know, it's really not over until the fat lady sings, or you know, the same. It was heartbreaking uh, because, because yeah. you know sometimes I think you could have in your head that hey, I'm almost done, but the unexpected can happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is your tour divide. So you were one of fourteen to finish that year. The next thing, I mean, I didn't see. You got into randoneering, right? I think you were living in the the prairies somewhere, or where I'm not sure where. Oh, you were in Alberta, I think, right? No, I was living in Montreal. After oh, that, that was I Montreal, right? Home. Yeah, I came back home, and I, I definitely had the bug uh, for long distance riding. After that, like it, it's a special thing, and it really like pushed my mental ability. And it's exactly like Matthew Lee said, like it, it was a it was a mental game for mm-hmm. sure, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So uh, there's actually a local randoneering club here, and I joined up and. You know, every weekend I was doing anywhere from two to 600 kilometers in the weekend. Oh, wow. Nice. And I don't think I had kids yet. So, so it was easier as well. (laughs) That helps. Uh, And I really, uh, I really enjoyed those. Like, I didn't realize I could push my body like that. Mm -hmm. Doing 600 kilometers in in a weekend is pretty big. And uh, again, my my body really responds to those kind of things really well. Uh, Even though I, I know I'm not saying I'm not in pain and I'm not feeling it, but I think my body really enjoys that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of exercise. Yeah, in 2015, you did the uh, Paris Brest Paris. I actually have a friend uh, from Sweden. I was in Sweden at the time. Uh, she did the the PBP and uh, finished in 75 hours, so just a, just a tad slower than you. What was it like? I mean, it must be an incredible event. It was very emotional. Like, um, there's such a big history to it, and when you're there, you feel it. It was really spectacular. I mean, there's a lot of people too. So you're, you're I'm not even sure how many people they 4,000. 
I want to say I could be wrong, but it's, it's that many, thousands huh? wow. of people that you're racing, you're with. And uh, I mean, being in France and being in landing in Paris is one of my favorite places to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was really happy to do it, spend some time in Paris before I went. And then I actually went there with a friend and uh, we had a really special time. It was really beautiful. And then I remember just crying my eyes out as I was, as the, it started, I was just like, so over the really? top emotional. Oh, at the start. Yeah. Yeah. It was just spectacular. I, was, I felt so lucky to be there. It was, uh, it was quite uh, special, but again, this, it was another very, very mental, mental heavy ride. Yeah. I had, I had some uh, interesting times. Like I thought I was going to be riding with a lot of people because there was like that, thousands of people, but yeah, I actually rode alone a lot of it. It was nice because it was my own race. I, I wanted it to be my own race. I didn't want to join a group of 10 people and just stick with it. I wanted to like mm-hmm. really see what I could do. Yeah. And yeah, when you're sleep deprived, like when you do 1200 kilometers in that amount of time, you get really sleep deprived really quick. Um, and I had a hard time sleeping on, t- even when I did try and stop to sleep, I couldn't sleep. So, I mean, yeah, they have actual checkpoints, right? Where you're supposed to stop and they have food and they have like, I think I, I remember her saying they have like rooms and stuff where the cots yeah. that you can go sleep on and which but is that nice. Itself was, it was nice, but it wasn't great because okay. you're in a, you're in a gymnasium with like a hundred other people who are right. snoring really loud and they don't care if they're getting up at like two in the morning and disturbing everybody else. So you don't, you don't sleep yeah. well. I mean, a lot of people planned ahead and, and booked Airbnbs, which were really smart. I think that was mm. brilliant to do that because then you might actually get some sleep. But um, yeah, I mean, there was one night I got into the school, it was like three in the morning and it was freezing out. And I'd, I'd actually, I had a really good ride, but I got there. And I was like, I need to sleep somewhere. And the guy's like, there's a huge lineup. You're not going to get in. So I was like, so oh. I pulled out an emergen- emergency blanket and okay. I, I lay down on the concrete and I had the worst sleep of my entire, like, I think I slept like an hour and I was like, this is stupid. I'm just going to keep riding. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking like, couldn't you just have like a little emergency bivy and just throw it off in the field somewhere and lay it down beside your bike? And I guess you probably could. Yeah. That was, that would have been smarter than lying on the concrete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's quite a change when I look at it going from, you know, cross Canada bike touring to, to all of a sudden bikepacking the tour divide and then ultra distance, uh, endurance events like the PVP yeah. to you, how do they compare and, and, um, you know, compare and contrast or, you know, what, what, what do you like about them in various means? Uh, they're all such different beasts. I have to say, like, I mean, there's, you're on your bike for all of them, but there's something like the Canadian one was pretty much a Canadian tour was a holiday tour divide was, a. <laughs> was uh just being in heaven you know being in the mountains for for 27 days was yeah. pretty uh pretty much in heaven and the randoneering is its own beast it's you really do push yourself mentally like i guess they're different but they're the same i think you really have to dig deep into yourself mm-hmm. uh for those kind of things to do that to do that kind of time and that kind of distance and you learn a lot about yourself like i definitely say when I'm in those sort of things, I really go deep inside my head, not in a bad way, but I really, I really do learn a lot about myself. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, I don't know if I actually think about anything at the same time. I find biking very Zen. I think I really under, I think I really cultivated a Zenness from biking yeah. those big, those really big races. Yeah. People are like, what do you think about for riding, you know, 600 <laughs> kilometers in a day? I'm like, I, don't think I thought about anything. Yeah. It's just like, it's just, yeah, I've, I've said it before too. I've said the exact, pretty much the same thing. It's, you know, some people do yoga to find their inner self and to find that, that place. And 
me when I'm on my bike and my legs are going and your brain is just thinking about your legs keep going. Thoughts come in, but they come in. It's almost like a dream. They're in and out and it's just a constant flow of, you know, I don't know. In the end, you feel, I feel refreshed and I feel more at peace, but uh, I don't know if I actually think like if I can remember exactly what I thought about throughout that e- the event, right? Yeah. And I mean, you really like, you learn what your body can do. Like mm-hmm. doing the tour divide, I was like, oh, I can maybe do a hundred kilometers a day. I would be happy. But then you start doing 160, then you start doing 250, then you start doing, you know, 300. And then with the PBP, you're like, I just did 600 kilometers in a day. And you're like, how the fuck <laughs> did I do that? Yeah. How you know, much like, sleep did you get I, on the, the PBP? Uh, I think barely none. I'm okay. going to say like I would stop for naps. Um, I would sleep maybe two hours here and there. Okay. Um, but I, I, was, I was exhausted at the finish line. Like I remember finishing early in the morning and coming through the streets to the finish line. I was hallucinating. Um, yeah. Wow. And when I finished, I just literally like hit, I hit the mat in this tent and I never woke up for 10 hours. And that was like with people <laughs> nice. running around you at the finish line, yeah. you know, speaking and running around. I didn't hear anything. I was just out. Yeah. Nice. That's good. Another question actually about the tour divide, something I forgot to ask back in the days yeah. when not everybody, uh, you know, well, you guys had trackers, but there wasn't uh, cell signals or having cell phones for that matter. Weren't really a thing. Like, did you know no. the guys that finished way earlier or how fast they finished or at any point in the race? Or was it just kind of something you found out after? You could check that phone in. I think they had like spot. You could, you could check your spot uh, um, okay. with those ones. Yeah. It was kind of like, I checked it first. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Okay. And then you're after a while, you're like, nah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing that great. Not doing that great. So yeah, more recently you rode the, uh, the AR 700 in 2018 and I think the BT 700 in 2019 yeah. or last year, 2020. 2019. Yeah. What's it like to get into like shorter distance, well, quote unquote, shorter distance bikepacking events, uh, compared to like the tour divide and, and, uh, what is your well, experience like on these? Uh, I am getting older. I noticed, <laughs> you know, I mean, I started doing those, the bigger things when I was like 29, 30, and now I'm 44. Mm-hmm. So I definitely feel my age a little bit more. I'm not so driven to race anymore. Okay. Uh, not because I can't. Um, I think my mindset has just changed. I really enjoy taking it in. I really enjoy the camaraderie of these event- events. I think that's for me, that, that's one of the most important mm. things is meeting the people, but uh, I don't feel as driven. I'll be honest, as, as I used to be, I'm not like, I have to do 600 kilometers today. It's like, right. I'll see what I do. And if I do 200, great. If I do 300, fine, but I'm not going to care. And sometimes that's an advantage because I don't, I don't put too much pressure on myself, but then I don't have that competitive, like I have to go out there and give it everything I have, you know, like, like I'm really, I'm really into now the, the, the adventure of it, the not the destination at all. It's, it is about the journey mm-hmm. for me now. And I really try and take that in for sure. Okay, cool. And um, you, yeah, apparently you broke another crank uh, on the AR700. You have a, seem to have a thing with cranks and <laughs> yeah, bamf, bamf like, and cranks. <laughs> that was like a, another one of those stories where I was actually visiting my sister in BC and I needed to get to, where did the race start? Coleman, I want to say. Sorry, I could be wrong there. But it was like, 250 kilometers away and I was like I'm just gonna bike to the race start that should be fine and I hadn't written like uh I hadn't really done any really uh big route checking let me put it that way Mm -hmm. I just kind of looked at google maps and said oh that looks like there's a trail there so I'll try it so this is going to like forest roads in the middle of the rocky mountains and thinking it would be okay (laughs) and I screwed up a lot I screwed up a lot like 
it was like a maze up there and I really got lost a couple times. So that 250K took a lot longer than I was expecting. And I, I kind of showed up in, in Coleman uh, a bit worn out. And I hadn't noticed that I was starting to lose bolts on my crank. I look at pictures now, I can kind of see, oh, there goes one. I'll look oh. for a few pictures later and I, oh, yeah, I can see I'm missing one there. So little did I know, I didn't feel it. It didn't feel like any mm-hmm. different. So yeah, and the race day came and I was like, I was actually feeling pretty good. I was a bit sunburnt and a bit worn, but I was like, I was uh, warmed up. Let me put it that mm-hmm. way. I was warmed up for the race and it was going really well. You know, I was out front with uh, a couple of the people and we were really doing pretty good. And then I got like deep into Northern Alberta and I felt my crank get a bit wobbly. I was like, what's, what's that feeling? I'm not quite sure. I kept going. And then it really started going like this. And I looked down and one of the bulls was coming out. And I think there was one left. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I, at the time, I wasn't thinking of carrying extra bolts. That's never really happened to me. So mm-hmm. now I do. I carry extra bolts if I, if I do have that. But, um, but uh, yeah, I was really heartbroken with that one. I have to say, like, the older I get, and I found, especially since I have kids, I'm so much more emotional <laughs> during yeah. bike rides and bike events. It's it's a bit much, I have to say, like happiness and sadness. I think it really, I'm, I'm, I really have these these big emotions during rides. And uh, when I when I couldn't finish, and I was so close, I really like, I took it really hard. I have to yeah. say, uh, I never give up. That's one thing I've, I've noticed. I have a lot of heart, and after I fit all these other things I had accomplished, and I couldn't finish this when I was like a bit. Uh, I was very heartbroken. I have to say. And this was when uh, the AR700 was still a point to point, right? Like now it's a loop and it yeah. starts in uh, starts in Canmore, I think. And yeah, exactly. And we were we took a northern. We started and we went north, and it was like really was the middle of nowhere. And I I, I said, you know, I can either finish this, I can get some tie wraps and or figure something out with a crank, mm-hmm. maybe. But it was really in the middle of nowhere, and I had two kids waiting. My kids were waiting for me to go back to Montreal and I had to finish in two days. And I was like, if I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere and I can't make it back, I don't want to stress them out. I don't want to be stressed out. Let's just call it. And I remember sitting outside this gas station in the middle of nowhere and just crying because I couldn't finish. It was, uh, it was pretty painful. I, I, st- I remember those feelings and I think it helps me now doing things. I, I never want to call in and be like, I can't finish. I, I have to finish things. It's, it's really important mm-hmm. for me to finish, no matter how I, I really do have to finish stuff. So is there a redemption that coming? Are you heading out to Alberta for the AR700 at any point to, uh, to do the new loop? I'd love to. I'm not sure if I can. Again, it's more finding time. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, with two kids now, uh, it's hard to take like even a week off of, of work and stuff. So yeah. lately, I've been really focusing on local stuff. You know, for next year, I'm looking at doing like log drivers walls and definitely a couple of year uh, routes would be awesome oh, to, be nice. uh, to do this year. And that's what's, you know, I've kind of learned kind of a silver lining of everything that's happened the past two years with not being to travel as much and stuff. It's There's a uh, lot it really to do has, around, yeah. There's so much to do now in Ontario, Quebec, it's, and, you know, around this area, it's crazy how much is popping up. There's almost too much. It's too much. Yeah, there's too, it's, it's too much. Uh, yeah, there's, a couple of, there's a couple other people too I've reached out to that are going to start uploading or like sending me some of the information for some of the routes they've made. And I'm like, oh man, there's, there's going to be some epic stuff throughout the region. That's for sure. Never have to leave again. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of good because for me, if I can stick around and even if I can't do the whole route, at least do part of it or something and, you know, slowly mm-hmm. chip away at it, being that close to yeah. home, it's really nice. Yeah. 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 And you, uh, you also rode the BT700. Um, how was that? Uh, I remember I, I, I packed really minimal for that one. Mm-hmm. And I remember it being a very hot race. 
I remember like finishing, I looked like a mess for sure. Um, I was nowhere near your time. <laughs> that's <laughs> for sure. I think it took me like three days, but it was just like, um, there's a lot of navigation on that one. And I found it a bit hard to get into a rhythm because there was so much navigation in that mm-hmm. one. But again, it was like pretty much gravel heaven everywhere you went. It was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Lots of great single I track being, too. I remember being pissed off in a few sections, especially like near the end in the city. I was like, I don't want to be navigating all this much through a damn city. Just go. Yeah. I was, oh, was that the little, was the the end, the little like, town, Ugh. the little town with the yeah. gorge in it. And you were like, he was like a little wander through town. I'm like, I was so mad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, good. I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, yeah. I was swearing at Matthew Katie a little bit that, yeah, uh, yeah. at that time. <laughs> I was pissed. I looked back at it as a kind of a fun game. Like I, I could, I know what he was doing and it, it, it I look back at it laughing, but at the time I was like, nah. Yeah. And I was so confused. Like I'm for like me, cause I, I had, I had a FKT it and so confused with what was going on, you know, like I just, cause I couldn't make sense of anything at that point. I was just on autopilot. I just followed the yeah. GPS and I'm like, why am I, where, what the, I know. what's going on? Like I couldn't I figure things out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump forward. Let's, um, in 2018, you kind of took all your passions of, uh, art photography and um, bicycling and stuff. And you started a magazine, um, Mess Kit Magazine. Yeah. What led to this and how did it come to be? At the time, I just had another child and I was freelancing and I couldn't find work that I was really happy with. I wanted to work in the outdoor industry. I didn't know many people in the outdoor industry or in cycling. I was like, you know, I'm, I want to make a project for myself that I'm proud of that I could, you know, combine all my passions. You know, I went to art school, so I was a new photography, a new video, a new design. I love cycling. I love food. And I really racked my brains for a while to to do something that I think um, that I'd be really proud of and to to open up the community a bit for me because I yeah. was a bit, I felt a bit like isolated from in Montreal. I wasn't quite finding my groove cycling wise. Um, mm-hmm. So I really wanted to meet, just meet people. Um, and that was really hard for me too, because I'm a bit of an introvert and a lone wolf sometimes. So uh, meeting people can be really quite a challenge for me sometimes. And I needed to really just get out of my comfort zone again and start something fresh. And Meskit was born out of that. Yeah. And it started oh, kind of doing what you're doing a little bit, not so much the podcasting, but it started out calling up people, some heroes in the industry and being like, can I just talk to you for, for an hour? I just want to chat. Let's just talk about food and biking and how you got your start. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really, it was really good for me to learn you know, other people's stories and, and, um, and get to know them better. And it was great. I mean, with social media now, it's, it's really easy just to reach out to people and say, mm-hmm. Hey, can I just chat to you for, for an hour? I just want to pick your brain a bit. Yeah. And, uh, everyone was really quite excited about it and really interested and, People are really nice to just give their time and talk about their passion. I think that was really yeah. what I learned. It was really, uh, and I'm sure you learned that too. It's really uh, rewarding. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's very similar like to Bikepack Adventures. The reason I, I, I kind of had been thinking about it for a while. And when I, you know, I was like, I want I want a way of sharing roots, but also as, you know, I, I got to find my people. Like I, I moved back to Canada. I was like, I need to develop community, you know? Yeah. I, I want to. I want to make it this place I'm going to live. I have to really love it. And I want to find those people that are interested in the kind of things I am like bike packing. And, uh, you know, it's exactly. good. I have mountain biking is awesome here. There's so many great mountain bikers, but sometimes I just want to get out for those longer rides and to yeah. have that, that group. So yeah, very similar. 
so tell us more about the magazine. What does it focus on? What's uh, what's it all about? It's kind of like shifted a bit. I think it's kind of morphed as time has gone on. Initially, I was really focused on food and its relationship to adventure and adventure cycling. And I was really interested. I think that was like one of the main hubs that people could all, no matter if you're mm-hmm. a mountain biker, bike packer or whatever, you, you're always kind of like, that was something people could come together and talk about was food. Yeah. So it started off as that. And as time went on, I think I've kind of pulled back a little bit from the food and got more focused on the adventure. And before COVID hit, I was actually wanting to develop more of a more of a community, having people come together. And I was starting to doing movie nights and I started doing, you know, having people do talks who have done some interesting trips. And, mm-hmm. and I think that I really found my stride. And then COVID hit and that kind of put a damper on stuff for a while. Yeah, so I think yeah. I was, I was really saddened a bit about that because I was really enjoying that that part of it, really just focusing on the the local scene. I think that was really cool. But yeah, I think now it's, it's kind of morphed into doing reviews and that sort of thing, which, you know, I, I do miss the interviews. I think I have to go back to that. I think that was something I'm, I'm kind of missing lately is this, this sort of interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing too that's been playing my mind is I've been doing this solo. I like it really is like a one man passion show. I don't, I don't get paid or I don't get anything for it. It's not like uh, it's not like a, a day job or anything. So yeah, it is something I work on when I can. It's uh, and I like it that way a little bit. There's no pressure, but I think it needs to maybe morph again into something where I bring on a few other people or something and co-contributors or that kind of thing. Yeah. and do that sort of thing. I think it it needs a bit of freshening up or something. I'm I'm kind of in a bit of a rut. COVID hasn't helped with that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But um, yeah, I think there's there's some interesting things in the future. I just have to figure them yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, I I I I tried with the podcast. So I don't know if you, you saw there was um Carl, he's a he's a local guy and run, works in a bike shop and stuff and try to have him on as a, a co-host. But it's just it's really hard when it comes to podcasting and you know vision and and, um, you know, he was super busy and bike industry is insane. So it just yeah. didn't work in the end. But, um, yeah, now I've talked to some friends and just for like blogs and stuff or things like that to try to get that cohesion, um, just to try to get more stuff out there and keep people, uh, you know, pumped and exploring yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's tough. It's really tough. Um, and it's like, you know, like you said, we don't get paid for this, but the amount of hours that goes into it. <laughs> man, it's sometimes you think and you're like, man, it's freaking insane. Like my dad was saying the other day, he's like, you know, Christopher, if you would just find something you could actually make money from, I'm like, I know you never know dad, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm passionate. I like it. And it's, it's good. And it keeps me going and it keeps me motivated to keep biking and doing these things. But it is a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work. And yeah, like, I mean, if I could make this my day job, I, I totally would. If there is something out there that I could uh, pull some magic switch that could help me support me and my family, that would be mm-hmm. amazing. I don't see that happening uh, right away. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do have a job. I do freelance. I, I do have a family, two boys, and, and I do this. So it's time yeah. is a bit of a constraint. But um, but like you said, I am passionate about it. So it's not a problem to be doing stuff like that. And I really enjoy the writing aspect of it. I do enjoy that a lot. I think that's maybe something else I need to push a bit further in what I'm doing. I think mm-hmm. I'm not sure in what way yet, but I'd really like to push my writing uh, to the next level and, and see where I can and take that for sure. Where does the name mess kit come from? I mean, to me, it sounds like a military thing, you know, like when you go to your mess dinner and you wear your mess kit, that's like your, your fancy uh, uniform. But 
it's got to be that. Something else too. Um, <laughs> it is it. Okay. It, it started. It, it's 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 kind of like that. It's like it started out as that idea of having food and the outdoors together. And I think your mess kit is also your, the cooking utensils that you use uh, right. for camping and that sort of thing. And I kind of like that sort of military connotation for some reason. I think it really mm-hmm. resonated. I'm not sure why, but when I heard it, I was like, "That's the name." Yeah, I like it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I, I couldn't figure out any other thing that was – I only know one mess <laughs> kit, and I was like, you can't get that. Um, what have some of the challenges been that you've had to overcome with this magazine? I think COVID really was the biggest challenge. Um, like I said, I was really enjoying building that community, and then I, I found the community – you know, everyone kind of did their own little thing, and it, I didn't feel that coming together anymore, and I think that's mm. been the biggest challenge for me. Not that it can't come back or hasn't come back. I think a lot of people have maybe – built a lot of stronger relationships, but I think in a whole, I find people a little bit more spread out and not as cohesive anymore. So mm-hmm. I think if I can, I'd try like to cultivate that a bit more. Yeah. It might take some time for that to come back together. Just this whole yeah. pandemic yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like you said, finding time, I think that's, I would love to do this 24 seven, but again, it's, it's not possible unless, uh, unless there's a sponsor out there who would like to help me. But um. yeah, <laughs> ever, ever looking for that sponsor. Yeah, they're out yeah. there. If you're out there, they're out there. Uh, but no, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's definitely about the passion. It's not about the money. So I'm mm-hmm. happy where it's at uh, for sure. And I'm, I think it can it definitely has lots of room to grow, which is important. Mm-hmm. What do you feel are some of the, the greatest successes you've had that keeps you going? You know, what motivates you and keeps you going? Good question. Uh, a little bit of recognition is, is nice. I mean, I think. I remember going, you know, I do lots of little gravel races around here as well. And I remember going to Grindero and someone was like, hey, you're the guy from Mesquite, aren't you? It's like, yeah. Well, how do you? And he's like, he had an English accent. It was this guy from England who had loved reading about this stuff. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting how it's, you know, its fingers have reached uh, outwards. And not that I like to be recognized. I, I like to keep a low profile, but yeah. it is kind of nice to to be recognized, to have some of those skills and mm-hmm. to, um, to know that people appreciate what you do. I think yeah. that was really uh, an important thing. Yeah. I remember my, uh, my first time coming across somebody was, uh, I was driving to Elliott Lake. So Northern Ontario. And, um, we saw this guy and it was pouring rain out and well, it's not, not pouring, but it was raining and it was, you know, the miserable Ontario Hills and sunset was coming. And I pulled over and I offered him a sandwich and water and, and we had in the cooler and, uh, we started talking and I asked him if he wanted to ride to the next town or something. And, and we started talking. He's like, Oh, your bike tour adventures. I just started listening to your podcast. <laughs> I'm like, that's hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, you know, yeah, I, I didn't expect, you know, people are listening, you know, and it's just yeah. kind of, yeah, you, you forget that, you know, you, you're making an impact and it's good to, yeah. good. It's like feel good moment for yeah. sure. I was going to say, and it's opened a lot of doors too. Like, I think it has helped me personally grow um, out of my shell, I think it really pushed me to approach people and just be like, hi, which is, is for me sometimes can be quite difficult. So I think it's, it's, it's nice to know that I can grow as a person into something that I'm passionate about and have, have that, uh, have that push me a bit. Nice. And, um, what are your long-term goals for the magazine? Do you, where do you see it going? I think you mentioned you want to get back into the interview thing and, um, yeah, I think Maybe get back get some the interesting and, and get some people. I think it's always great to get new perspectives. Like I find, you know, I don't want to start getting stagnant in what I do either. I think it's good to have a bit of different views and be like, oh, why don't we work on something like this? Or let's do some video mm-hmm. work together where when it's by myself, it's, it's sometimes kind of hard to do that 
camera video work and be in it or not be in it. And so maybe having a few hands, we can do some really creative stuff. And I think that's uh, what I really want to get into. Very cool. All right. And you mentioned that this summer you're going to be looking to do some gravel stuff up in this region or, you know, uh, Quebec, Ontario. Um, Yeah. Looking forward to that. Um, anything else I missed that you'd like to talk about? I don't think so. It's been it's it's been a really great trip down memory lane for me. Like I don't always think, not 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 tooting my horn, but it's pretty cool to hear about all the things that I've done in my life that I kind of forgot about a little bit. It's nice to hear. Oh yeah, I did that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's been like really. Uh, it's nice for my soul a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just to like get your memory switch going. Yeah, it's been really nice, and I think it's brought back some really great memories uh, for me as well, which is really. Uh, I, I have <clears throat> I have created a lot of great memories from biking, and I think recognizing how special it is for me has been really nice. Mm-hmm. And have you done any bike touring with the family, uh, whole family? Yeah, well, actually, this summer uh, I did like a five day bikepacking sort of trip. I'm going to use quotations there, but um, uh, some neighbors have two girls at the same age as us, and we're like, let's do something fun. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we drove up to Tremblant and um, I rent an old Volkswagen van. Oh, and nice. Kind of as the, a wagon, like a help wagon. And we all parked in uh, Tremblant. And then we went up to Petit Train Nord and then on some gravel roads into the backcountry and camped for the night. And then I rode back, got the van and rode it into the campsite. And then camped a few nights by a lake and did some riding and then did some pretty, uh, I'm not sure if I pushed the kids a bit too much. <laughs> Uh, but they, they just, there's, it's, it's really great to watch them grow because my 10 year old is like, it's pretty awesome to see what he could do. And I'm kind of excited for his, for our future together at doing stuff together. Cause I think that's going to be really fun. And even my five-year-old was like helping me push the bike. Like I was pulling him on a giraffe over some really tough terrain and Jeep tracks and stuff. And, uh, it's, it's awesome to see how much fun I think we're going to have in the nice. future. Yeah. And my wife, I, she came out too. And I think she actually had some fun. Like we really had to make it like all about food and stopping and swimming in rivers and yeah. having fun, not just like pounding, pounding the trails, which we, we did a bit of everything. So I think it was really cool. And I, I really mm-hmm. liked how everyone responded. I think it was really special. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And I think yeah, I'm there's looking definitely forward to a, a big future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. It, 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 the way you adventure has to change. You have to accommodate them. It's no longer about you. It's about making their experience what you want, you know, what you want them to experience. And Exactly. Um, and they're hungry for yeah. it. They really enjoy it. So, I mean, I'm happy for that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Trevor, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. And yeah. um, I, I look forward to getting this uh, edited and uh, posted. So. Thanks for having me. I really, uh, I'm, I'm glad we were to find some time to chat. It's been a, uh, it's been nice to just talk about bikes. I think yeah. uh, it's, it's and felt and and find someone like yourself that's uh, brothers from another mother for sure. Yeah, and if you're ever up in the area, I do have a chicken coop right in the backyard. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't clean it out though. Don't clean it out. No, I don't. I, well, it does get raked every week or so. So you know, it depends when you come. You could luckier than other days. No, but honestly, if you are in the area and you need a place to uh, to set up shop or make a base camp, uh, you're more than welcome to uh, shoot me a message awesome. and I'll, I'll give you I love the Chelsea area, so uh, I might hold you to that. Yeah, for sure. Sweet. All right. You don't have to hang up, but I will say bye and uh, keep on pedaling. All right. And just like that, I want to thank Trevor for taking the time to talk with us today, sharing his story. It's pretty wild and diverse, and it seems like he did a lot of massive events, kind of, uh, well, not quite in a row. 
the randoneering came later. But man, to start off your your real bike touring and packing career by doing two massive, massive things like crossing Canada and doing the Tour Divide is nuts. Awesome. Trevor, really a pleasure. And on that note, guys, check out Mess Kit Magazine. Just Google it. Um, really, really cool little magazine, uh, digitally published. And he has lots of great stories and content. So check it out. Do do that. Did I say doo-doo? I might have said doo-doo. Do-do that. All right. But if you do have somebody really interesting to recommend, I would love to hear who you have to offer or who you have to offer, who you're recommending. So uh, without any further ado, thank you guys and keep on pedaling. Bye bye.